All right, we are back. Before we talk about the vice presidency, I do want to mention one little item from that piece by Anne Aguilar Santucci, which noted that the Spanish had been tillers of the soil when they were approached by the recruiters to go to Hawaii. Harvesting sugarcane did appeal to them because sugarcane plantations had been cultivated in southern Spain since the Moors brought the plant in 711 A.D. And yes, we've been promising a show on sugar in the future, and this is a reminder that we need to do that. Cane and what that um, what that did to the world economy to provide these people with a, who had a sweet tooth the white powder they craved is um, is quite a story. This was one of the major reasons for the slave trade. Sugarcane. And the last sugarcane fields apparently have gone out of production in Hawaii, by the way, but that's a story for another day. Let's talk the vice presidency. And uh, to do this, we're going to rely heavily upon a wonderful book by Jules Whitcover titled Crapshoot, Rolling the Dice on the Vice Presidency. Because let's face it, dear listener, for the past year, we've been watching Republicans and Democrats, uh, you know, kick each other in the shins and gouge each other in the eyes as they move through the democratic process. And by the way, (laughs) no matter what you want to say about Donald Trump, he is a product of the democratic process. And don't we want to bring democracy to all the nations of the world? So they too have the opportunity to choose a man like Donald Trump. Anyway, for the past year or so, we've been kicking around names like Chris Christie, Bobby Jindal, Bernie Sanders, God forbid, Carly Fiorina, etc., etc., etc. But the chances are, in the last year or two, you've not heard the names Tim Kaine or Mike Pence. Both have been rescued from obscurity by Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, respectively and are now both hoping to be at some point come January 20th of next year a heartbeat away from the presidency. Former Vice, former Vice President John Nance Garner once referred to the office which he held for eight years, that of the Vice Presidency, as not worth a pitcher of warm piss. Although they usually don't report it as piss. But since we are now on the internet, we are able to do so. It is, to be sure, a very strange public office. The vice president officially has one duty. He presides over the Senate. He isn't really directing the Senate. He's more or less there to oversee it and to cast a tie-breaking vote in the event that the Senate... He is there to cast a vote in case the Senate comes down to a tie, which point the vice president can act as the tiebreaker. It's happened a lot of times in American political history. But the truth is, other than that, the only real duty of the vice president is to become the president when the chief executive drops dead or is killed, or in the case of Nixon, resigns. This is not, by the way, a very rare occurrence. Something to keep in mind when we talk about people like Mike Pence and Tim Kaine. Your odds of becoming the president, if you're the vice president, are pretty good. In fact, let's take a moment to do a little bit of historic review. Four American presidents have died while in office. They were succeeded by their vice presidents. They were William Henry Harrison, who was succeeded by John Tyler. Zachary Taylor, who was succeeded by Millard Fillmore. 
Warren G. Harding, who was succeeded by silent Cal Coolidge, and FDR, who was succeeded by Harry Truman. Sad to note, four American presidents have been shot dead. These were Abraham Lincoln, succeeded by Andrew Johnson, James Garfield, succeeded by Chester Allen Arthur, William McKinley, succeeded by Teddy Roosevelt, and JFK, succeeded by Lyndon Johnson. In addition, one president, Richard M. Nixon, resigned and was replaced by his vice president, Gerald Ford. Curiously, Gerald Ford had not been on the ticket. Thanks to the procedures of the 25th Amendment, he became the vice president after the then-vice president, Spiro Agnew, also resigned. So, we've had 44 presidencies. 43 men have been president, but Grover Cleveland, in serving non-consecutive terms, is considered our 22nd and 24th presidents. So, 44 presidencies, nine times it was the vice president who became the president. That's odds of one in five, 20.5% if you do the math. One, of course, once you become the vice president, your stature in the nation is raised. You're now, you know, a household name. <laughs> when, when Nixon picked Spiro T. Agnew as his running mate in 1968, that was Agnew's comment. Well, I'm not exactly a household name. Indeed, he wasn't, but he soon became one. But if you check it out, on five occasions, on, but if you check it out, on no less than five occasions, the man who served as vice president of the United States later actually made it to the top spot. These include John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Martin Van Buren, Richard M. Nixon, and George Herbert Walker Bush. Those men served respectively as the vice presidents to George Washington, John Adams, Andrew Jackson, Dwight Eisenhower, and Ronald Reagan. So that means that 11.3% of the time, the man that became president had previously been the vice president. So that connection, vice president to president, is uh, if you add them up, 20.5% plus 11.3%, you're at 31.8, damn near one in three. But wait, there's more. It turns out that someone who actually ran for the... It turns out that someone who ran for the vice presidency but lost, but, but in that way became more of a public figure, also became president. This was Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1920. He ran on the ticket that got squashed by Warren Harding, but uh, made himself a household name, a la Agnew. Of course, uh, FDR's political career was thought finished when he contracted polio, but one of the most remarkable political stories in American history, he was able to come back from that. So what I think that means in short is that being the vice president is indeed a big deal. At any rate, I think we can agree that there are some things about the U.S. Constitution and how this government was formed that, well, they were just, shall we say, less than perfect. The vice presidency has certainly illustrated that in spades. Now, when they were creating the U.S. Constitution and deciding how all this was going to go down... They, at one point, had a final draft that specified that in the event that the President of the United States was removed, quote, by death, absence, resignation, or inability to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the Vice President shall exercise those powers and duties until another President be chosen or until the inability of the President be removed. But they also recognized that it might be possible due to circumstances that there might not be a vice president at that time, so they had to also work out who would then be in the line of succession. And in fact, during this correspondence lifetime, there's been no vice president on at least three occasions I can think of. 
From the time Kennedy was shot until the time the Johnson-Humphrey ticket was sworn in in January of 1965, the U.S. had no vice president. When Sparrow Agnew resigned until they could get Jerry Ford ratified by the Senate, we again had no vice president. And then when Ford himself took over, until they went with Nelson Rockefeller in the Veep position, we again had no vice president. But at any rate, they realized that a president might die. Therefore, they had to have someone step in and take his place. But they didn't quite nail down how it would go down. According to the papers of James Madison, one of our most prominent founding fathers, considered the father of our Constitution, the founders indicated at first that in the event of the death of the president, the vice president would serve as an acting president until another president be chosen, suggesting only that the powers and duties of the office would devolve to him temporarily, not the office himself. But that language got dropped at the, at the Convention's Committee on Style. And in fact, that matter remained unresolved until the first time a vice president became the president. And the first time that happened was when elderly William Henry Harrison gave a long, blustery speech back in 1841 upon assuming the presidency and got pneumonia and died a month later that the nation <laughs> saw this ascendancy take place. John Tyler then became the president of the United States and there was some resistance to him being the full-on president. They said, well, no, you've taken the duties now until we can pick the next president. Tyler said, I'm the president. And he made it stick. There was never any doubt after that that when the, when the vice president succeeded to the role, he was the full-on guy. In fact, without a doubt, if your aspiration is to be the president of the United States, <laughs> the best job you could hope for to prepare for it would be to be the vice president of the United States. Because, as we say, that has been the case no less than 14 times. I'm trying to think of any other offices that can possibly compare with it, and all I can think of is the governor of New York. Both Roosevelt's, Teddy and FDR, had been the governor of New York before they became president, but, but boy, is there anything else? I, I, don't, I don't think so. And, and by the way, Teddy Roosevelt went from being governor of New York, a position where he was really irking the Republican establishment, to being vice president because they thought that would be the best way to end his influence. Of course, when McKinley got assassinated, that backfired on the Republicans. And by the way, um, both Roosevelt's got shot at. They hit Teddy. This was in 1912 when he was running a renegade campaign to take back the presidency, running on what was called the Bull Moose Party. He took a bullet in the chest but evidently a thick book that he had in his breast pocket slowed the bullet to the point where although it penetrated the skin and Teddy being Teddy still went ahead and delivered his 45 minute long address while bleeding at the chest. The wound was far from fatal. FDR, while a candidate for president in Chicago, had a guy take a shot at him. He missed, but he did kill the mayor of Chicago. And come to think of it, Puerto Rican separatists did fire a gun and tried to get tried to get to Harry Truman when he was the president. They did kill one of the uh, the guards at the White House, but uh, Truman did not actually face gunfire. But you know, bullets in the presidency—quite a history. So, if I'd mentioned uh, Mike Pence and Tim Kaine six months ago, chances are you would have not known that they were respectively the governor of Indiana and a senator from Virginia. You can count on the fact that in the months to come, we will be hearing a lot from these guys. In fact, 
No sooner was uh, Mike Pence picked than we re- <laughs> this correspondent received a call from one of our Los Angeles correspondents, Don Rose, who asked me, have you heard that Pence doesn't believe in evolution? I responded, no, I had not, but am I surprised by this? No. In fact, let's take a little detour in history for a minute here. When they first set up this president and vice president thing, we didn't have parties like we do today. There were parties. George Washington and John Adams were considered federalists. They were affiliated with what was a party. Thomas Jefferson and later James Madison and James Monroe were what were called the Anti-Federalist Party, which was later the Republican Party, then later the Democratic-Republican Party, and finally, the Democratic Party. The Republican Party didn't even arrive on the scene until the 1850s, but that's another story. Back before they had parties, there wasn't a thought about running two people on a ticket. The person who got the most electoral votes was going to be the president, and the person who was the runner-up would become the vice president. Thus... When John Adams was elected president, his vice president was the guy that took second, Thomas Jefferson. Though the men were, I guess, friendly up to a point, they were not political allies. Now, it turns out when they were casting these electoral votes, someone had to realize that, you know, you've got to like hold back a vote or two so that, let's say you're running Adams and Pickney as your candidates for president and vice president, well, someone's got to hold back the votes for Pickney so you don't have a tie. In fact, the way it worked originally back, I think it was in 1896, um, Pickney took third, Jefferson took second, and so he became the vice president. They hadn't worked out the bugs, and this really became obvious in 1800 when Aaron Burr and Thomas Jefferson ran on the ticket. Jefferson was to be president, Aaron Burr was to be vice president. But the Democrats because they were probably were as disorganized then as they are today, um, did not take the time to sit around and say, you know, someone's got to hold back that vote on Burr so we don't have a tie. In fact, they went ahead and voted, and it was 73 to 73. Aaron Burr, had he been an honorable man, would have said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm running for vice president. I, I, you know, someone changed their vote, and I'll step back, and I will become the vice president. Instead, he made a full-on play for the presidency. This prompted Alexander Hamilton, who was no really no political ally of Jefferson, to realize, well, Jefferson and I may not be buddy buddies, but he is a man I would trust, which is more than I can say for Aaron Burr. So Hamilton threw his weight behind Jefferson. Jefferson became president, and Burr continued to do all sorts of uh, terrible things, including inciting a duel with Hamilton and shooting him dead while he was the vice president. Yeah, apparently, uh, apparently... Hamilton made enough disparaging remarks about Burr to where Burr was able to demand satisfaction in a duel. Hamilton had the chance to withdraw his remarks and chose not to. And he'd, he'd lost a son to a duel himself, so he knew what he was up against. Terrible episode in American politics. So after this debacle in 1800, they realized they needed to work out some bugs here in how we were going to choose a president and vice president. The Founding Fathers always intended that the man they would choose to be vice president would be someone who would have the complete and utter confidence of the populace and would be considered, in fact, the second best choice to be president. But history would demonstrate, and that's not how it was going to work out. And, you know, before I tell that story, we're going to have to just extend this whole thing into the third segment. So let's just take a break, get a drink of water, do whatever. Uh, I would note that you're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Back in a minute. 
Thank you.